Health Minister Chen Shizhong tendered his resignation on Thursday to focus on his electoral campaign for Taipei mayor. His campaign team has already been finalized and will be handed by lawmaker Rosila Wu with lawmakers Zhang Ruixiong and Lin Chuying as spokespeople. On his resignation day, Chen reflected on his time as health minister. Let's hear what he said. I've submitted my resignation. Now it depends on the executive run on what arrangements Premier Su Zhenchang has made. If I were to score myself, I would give myself a pass for my time in office. For a more concrete grade, that would depend on public opinion. You can't get full marks on every single thing, but I can assure you that everyone in the CECC works the hardest they can. They truly spare no effort. The KMT's candidate Zhang Wan'an and Taipei Deputy Mayor Huang Shanshan are both young talents. I think elections are good. They are to pick up wise and capable leaders. According to the latest opinion polls, the KMT's Zhang is in the lead with 35.2% of support from the public. He's followed by Chen with 29% and Huang from the Taiwan People's Party with 25%. Taiwan reported 27,597 local COVID cases on Thursday and 89 COVID-related deaths. With case numbers on the decline, the CECC has relaxed border controls for certain travelers. Starting first Thursday, Taiwan nationals, foreign residents and transit passengers no longer have to provide proof of a negative COVID test to enter Taiwan. Meanwhile, amid concerns for COVID subvariants, the CECC says it will procure next-generation vaccinations once they are ready. As countries around the world open up, Taiwan is easing its border controls. Starting Thursday, July 14th, three kinds of travelers will no longer be required to provide a negative PCR test result from up to two days before departure, that is, Taiwan nationals, foreign nationals with valid residency certificates, and transit passengers. Travelers have been waiting for this day for the last two years, but airlines could set their own stricter policies. For instance, Xiamen Air still requires passengers to provide a negative PCR test result from the last 48 hours, without which boarding will be denied. Public opinion on border control easing is torn as the BA4 and BA5 subvariants spread fast in many countries. Globally, 65% of all newly confirmed cases last week were the BA5 subvariant. The virus has already become the dominant strain in the US, where it has started a new wave of infections. Experts warn these new subvariants can evade immunity and are more transmissible than previous strains. Taiwan CCC2 predicts another wave in August, but reckons it won't be as big as the recent one. We've always said that between August and September, we might see a small spike in cases due to BA4 and BA5. If we continue in the current trajectory, with case numbers continuing to drop, BA4 and BA5 shouldn't cause a big surge in the future. 
NTU hospital pediatrician Huang Liming says Taiwan's herd immunity may only last until mid-August. He says that the current COVID measures won't be able to stop the virus from spreading. Meanwhile, the CCC says it's fast-tracking vaccine orders. Moderna's next-generation vaccine will be market-ready sometime between late September and early October. If it succeeds, then we'll ask Moderna to provide some to us. Pfizer is also developing a next-generation shot. We can get that supplied as part of our 4 million doses for this year, or for next year's 5 million doses. All these deliveries will include next-generation vaccines. Moderna's contract includes the delivery of another 10 million vaccine doses to Taiwan, and the CCC has an agreement with Pfizer to provide another 4 million vaccines this year and 5 million in 2023. All these deliveries could include next-generation vaccines to give Taiwan a better chance against rapidly spreading COVID subvariants. Almost 30% of Taiwan's 4.1 million recovered COVID patients experienced at least one long COVID symptom. Some patients even say that the symptoms could eventually cost them their jobs. Many have sought alternative treatment for relief, but traditional Chinese medicine practitioners warn patients not to self-medicate. After recovering from COVID, this university lecturer says she often feels out of breath giving lectures. She says her voice now goes hoarse very easily, and she has to stop for a sip of water every so often. She wonders if her day's teaching are numbered. My voice would become hoarse two or three minutes into the class. I couldn't carry on at all after that. So I would have to take a sip of warm water discreetly. The psychological toll mainly stems from worrying that my hoarseness could affect my job in the future. Long COVID symptoms include coughs, sore throat, and in severe cases, shortness of breath. And not just when climbing up the stairs. Even when walking on flat ground, you'd feel out of breath very quickly. Difficulty sleeping or waking up mid-sleep. Skin rashes and itchiness not induced by the warm weather. The skin might itch even in an air-conditioned room, and flare-ups are unpredictable. The practitioner says that 5 in 10 COVID patients seeking traditional Chinese treatment experience long COVID symptoms. Of them, 28% experience fatigue, 19% have brain fog, and 18% feel shortness of breath, chest pains, and tightness. In traditional Chinese medicine, brain fog can be treated with Chinese herbal medicine or acupuncture. Once patients are released from quarantine, they can seek treatment and get acupuncture. The traditional Chinese medicine practitioner says that patients with long COVID seeking alternative therapies should avoid self-medication and seek treatment from licensed practitioners. Soaring housing prices and stagnating salaries are causing younger adults to delay home purchases as compared to previous generations. According to the Joint Credit Information Center, the average age for first-time homebuyers was between 30 and 35 years in 2013. But now in 2022, it's gone up to between 35 and 40. Analysts say people aged 50 and up are also becoming an important demographic buying homes.
Wen Wen is 43 years old and works as a sales assistant. After a long day of work, all he wants to do is go home and have a rest. Had he not saved up for a down payment a few years ago, he would now be like a snail without its shell. I only bought a home when I was nearing 40. If there hadn't been this affordable housing development, I would only be able to buy a house now. Because I think in general, salaries are not as high as they used to be. With housing prices on the rise, people are purchasing homes later and later. According to data from the Joint Credit Information Center, 22% of people taking out a mortgage in the first quarter of 2013 were aged between 30 and 35. In the first quarter of 2022, the main groups were for people aged 35 to 40 and 50 and up. Those aged 50 and up made up for 20% of the total, accounting for a large portion of home buyers. The number of home buyers aged 50 and up has grown significantly. They've even become the driving force in the market. On the one hand, people are starting to work later in life, so they will need to be a certain age to save up enough money for a down payment. And prices have risen significantly. The average price of a home purchased by people aged 35 to 40 in 2022 is 3.01 NT million higher than nine years ago, at 11.54 million NT. That's despite the full area having shrunk by 2.1 ping, or around 7 square meters on average. We can also see that in the current market, many of the people aged 50 and up are simply moving to a new home. Their income and credit tend to be good, so they have become the main demographic taking out loans at banks. Of course, naturally, they have become the main group buying homes. Young adults might face difficulties buying a home before the age of 35. If real estate prices continue climbing faster than salaries, the average age for mortgage holders might also continue growing. Did you know the Air Force has a special weather division? That's right, there's a special Air Force team whose job is just to monitor the weather. But it's not as simple as it sounds. Let's head to Green Island to meet the soldiers who are experts on wind, rain and all things meteorological. A large white balloon is filled up with hydrogen until it's ready to release. Soldiers set it off into the air with military precision. This is a weather balloon released by the Air Force Weather Division on Green Island. The balloon will send back instant readings of weather conditions like temperature, humidity and air pressure. It can fly up to 40 kilometers high, but this release takes a lot of prep. For example, Taidong Force Base is quite near us, as is Hualien Air Base. We contact the control towers to let them know we're releasing a weather balloon in 15 or 20 minutes. They will help us by informing any aircraft who are using certain air routes that they need to be careful because a weather balloon is passing by. Doppler radar is used to help monitor the balloon from the ground. It can operate continuously for 24 hours, monitoring rainfall and even the position of the center of a typhoon. The weather division collect and analyze all the data primarily so military exercises can run smoothly. The goal of collecting weather data for the armed forces is for our drills. The Air Force is based on aircraft, and the data we collect on the ground isn't sufficient. 
All the things like the wind direction and speed, the humidity, even the tiny things can actually all easily cause air safety issues or problems for our aircraft. The weather station here at Green Island's highest point was established in 1984. Still going strong after almost 40 years, its main task is to monitor the weather of the eastern seaboard. In contrast to the reports of the Central Weather Bureau, it reports its findings in a special way, the better to support military drills. The images from the Green Island station radar update every seven minutes, so compared to the CWB weather forecasts, it's more instant. Our personnel can analyse one image in seven minutes. The crew here combined data from balloons, radar and on-the-ground analysis to make military missions safer for everyone. It was a choppy trading day today in Taiwan with investors ready for upcoming changes from the Fed. A rate hike of four basis points is expected soon as inflation in the U.S. hits 9.1 percent. During trading on Thursday, the TIEX at one point tumbled by 165 points after all three major U.S. stock indexes closed down. But with investors buying the dip for TSMC and Largan Precision, the TIEX ended closing up 113 points at 14,438, with a turnover of 208.9 billion NT. The massive rate hike in the U.S. may dampen U.S. consumer demand, and if U.S. consumer demand goes down and GDP projections go down, that will surely hit Taiwan's exports. Second, what will have a greater impact on the stock market is the U.S. dollar's upward trend, which may well continue. In that case, the Taiwan dollar will depreciate and the withdrawal of foreign hot money from Taiwan's stock market will become a greater possibility. The analyst says the Fed's policy will impact Taiwan's export stock market and foreign exchange market over the second half of the year. We turn now to an exclusive interview with a Taiwanese man who just came back from the war in Ukraine. Taipei native Yao Guanjun volunteered to fight for Ukraine's army as a logistics and medical officer. He returned safely to Taiwan in June. He told us his story and revealed his motivations to Ukraine in this exclusive. Belt, jacket, cap, rucksack of 20 kilos. Yao Guanjun got back from Ukraine in June. These are anti-scraping gloves because in those conditions, when we move things or when we advance, some of the abandoned towns and villages have been blown up. There's glass and nails everywhere, tiles and all sorts. At that time, we didn't have so many bandages and things, or they didn't have any yet. So for hands or arms that were hit, we used strips of material first to fix them and staunch the bleeding, and then we could go and get more aid. Yao hails from Taipei's Wanhua district. The 28-year-old grew up in a medical family where he learned lots of medical basics. He was always interested in firearms and taught himself online as well as learning a lot during military service. Not long after war broke out in Ukraine, he decided to go there to volunteer as logistical support for Ukraine's army. I saw three people in front of me disappear. The bomb crater was about 50 meters away. It's really hard to describe that feeling, the smell and the sight of it. It's terrifying. You're already there, so you have to get on with it and do your best to survive. You have to survive to have the chance to do more and help more people. It's still very difficult for Yao to think back on the battlefield. At first, he didn't tell his family that he was going to Ukraine, a decision that they opposed. 
happen. They were furious, absolutely furious. But berating me now won't do anything. I'm back now. If you ask anyone, nobody will think this is a problem or anything to do with them. It's more than 10,000 kilometers away. People think, what's that got to do with our country? I don't want to give a big explanation or persuade anyone of anything. Because no matter how much I say, they're not going with me. It's me who's going by myself. Yao went to Ukraine without even getting his family's approval. What gave him the courage? He was motivated by the plight of Taiwan, telling himself, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. I want to help people because our situation is extremely similar. If we want people to come here and help us, what should we do? Lots of people asked me if I'd gone crazy. It's not my war. What are you going for? Then I say to them, please remember what you just said. When Taiwan is in trouble and kids from other countries want to come here to fight, their parents or their wives or girlfriends will be saying the same thing. What will we do when Taiwan is in trouble? So if we're hoping people will come and help Taiwan, what can we do to help them now? That's real help. Not people just cheering them on from afar. If you listen to this, just, I'm, I'm very sad. So don't worry. I'm Yao. Yao greeted his friends in Ukraine in English. He hopes that his story will help Taiwan understand the war better and forge links between Taiwan and its friends. Water sport operators on Liuzhou Island could face fines of up to 150,000 NT if they don't clear the beach by the end of the day. Leaving equipment such as paddle boards and kayaks on the beach overnight can get in the way of turtles hoping to nest on the beach. They could also cause baby turtles to have trouble going into the ocean after they hatch from the egg. A splash in the sea to ward off the heat. Liuzhou Island is a top destination for the summer break. Among the aquatic fun, you can do kayaking and stand-up paddleboarding, which has recently become very popular. But all these installations on the beach are causing problems. All these things get in the way of female turtles when they come up. The equipment strewn about takes up a significant area of the beach, leaving the turtles with no places to lay their eggs. When the turtles come ashore at night to lay their eggs, they might bump into things or get stuck. All this recreational equipment and bigger discarded items can also impact the baby turtles after they hatch and make their way to the sea. After we're done with the day, we pack away all the stand-up paddle boards at our shop. Though most of the businesses in the area do take their equipment back, some less scrupulous operators leave their kayaks and boards on the beach. Locals called up the relevant agencies to clear the area. Operators are required to remove all their things from the beach at 5 p.m. Those who don't will be fined between 30,000 to 150,000 NT in accordance with the Fishing Port Act. To protect expecting turtles and preserve their nesting grounds, operators who don't free the beach for the animals will face heavy fines. The Transport Ministry's Fresh Travel Subsidy Program is launching on Friday with a 5.5 billion NT budget. Ahead of the launch, some hotels and resorts have announced deals of their own on top of the subsidies to ensure they get in the action before the budget runs out. Applying for the subsidies is quite simple. After booking with a participating hotel, access the subsidy program's website. 
Fill in your personal information and upload a photo of your ID or health insurance card. This can be done the day before check-in or on the day of arrival. Then show the receipt at the hotel. Guests can get up to 800 NT per person per night on weekday stays, with up to 1,300 NT for stays at starred hotels or with proof of three COVID vaccine shots. It's a scorching summer. On a boiling hot day, a popsicle is hard to beat. Let's head to Xinju to check out a local ice shop. This popsicle store was founded in the 60s by a former tobacco factory worker. He used his factory skills to master the art of the popsicle. And Xinju locals have been grateful ever since. A bite of a popsicle is the perfect thing for cooling down on a scorching summer day. This tiny ice pop store in Xinju is famous among locals for always being crowded with customers. I was born in 1979, and when I was little, my dad always brought me here. I've been coming ever since, so I keep eating them. Basically, everyone who's a Shinju local knows this place. They're totally handmade, delicious, pure, full of flavor, and the price is reasonable. It has a lovely aroma. It's different to the popsicles elsewhere. At some places, they're very watery. Here, they're very solid. Every bite feels really solid. It's the real ingredients and solid texture that customers love. Opened 50 years ago in 1967, the first owner of the store was Su Tianquan. Now more than 90 years old, he once worked at the 814 Tobacco Factory, which made cigars and ice pops for soldiers and airmen based in Xinju. When the factory was taken over by Taiwan Tobacco and Liquor Corporation, Su left and took his popsicle expertise with him. Opening his own store, he quickly made a great reputation, which has stayed with the business through three generations. It's easy to prepare. We got a new machine. You put the ice in and pull it straight out. Otherwise, it freezes totally hard. The popsicle sticks are at a slanted angle. The sticks are placed in a machine two by two. The employee gives it a push and they're all in position. This race against time resulted in the diagonal pop. It started as a way to increase efficiency, but now it's part of the brand. Customers say the diagonal stick makes it easier to stop ice from dripping on you. We want to make delicious popsicles for our customers. All the work is worth it. The pops come in original milk flavor, as well as azuki bean, taro, and even sour plum and passion fruit. Every flavor is made with natural, local ingredients. And above all, they're made with the expertise and heart of three generations of ice masters.